And so tonight, we find ourselves in Genesis 6-9, in kind of an unlikely scenario, just a little bit unlikely. It's the story of Noah. So Genesis 6-9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. And because of them, I'm going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. And then he told him all kinds of details. And he says in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of every living creature and gives them a little bit details. And then in verse 22, it says this, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Um, Since we're talking about epic falls, I just can't help but just tell you more of the klutziness of my family. So Carolina Lee is made in my own image. Um, She literally is. And she runs into walls, y'all. Like, I don't even understand it. I mean, yesterday she hit a corner so hard she went, oh, and I was like, babe, I'm, I'm so sorry that that wall jumped out, and I don't know what to say. And Philip just always looks at me and says, it is your fault. This child is your fault. And I, I, that's exactly the look I get on my face. Oh, are you kidding me? And then, y'all, today I hit the same wall so hard. There's just some things. There's something to this genetics. Like, it's for real. But, you know, we find ourselves here, and there's been the fall of humanity, right? So Adam and Eve leave the garden, and then there's all of these generations, and, and, and humanity was created in the image of God, given a perfect world, and then according to kind of Bible timelines, about 1,656 years later, so 1,656 years later, somewhere around there, God's now planning to destroy the world because of wickedness. I mean, that seems like a pretty quick amount of time for things to go that badly. From perfection to let's just, let's just wipe the slate clean and start completely all over. And, and, and the thing is, is, is that the Bible can be read on, on a lot of levels, right? So you can read the same story and God can speak to you an infinite amount of ways. And I don't want to talk about our society today. I want to talk about us as individuals, and ask ourselves, what does this story say to our specific lives, our specific situation, and what are just some truths that we can gather from it? So, let's look at that. First, what happened before the flood was that Adam died. Adam died. Now, you may say, well, yes, Destiny, we know. Adam, you know, he left the garden and he died. But he didn't die according to the Bible, for 930 years, okay? So 930 years. There were a lot of of descendants born during that time. There was a lot of stuff that happened during that time. In fact, his lifetime overlapped with Noah's own father by 65 years. 
So Noah was the very first generation that was born after natural death had entered into the world. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we'd had the death of Cain and Abel, and I'm sure there'd been other wickedness and things that had gone on. And, and, but all of a sudden, Adam? I mean, Adam? You know, God promised that they would die, but almost a 1,000 years later? Like, that seems like a long time to collect on a promise. That seems like, and then right one after another, everybody starts to die. And you're left without the generation that walked with God in the garden. You're left without the generation that has this face-to-face experience with the Almighty. Noah is the very first generation that is born without being able to talk to the man who was molded by God. And yet there's such wickedness in the earth. There's such wickedness in the earth. So we know that a lot of Adam's descendants had gone the wrong way. We know that a lot of Adam's descendants had decided not to follow their creator. We know that it had gone terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. And this is the truth I just think we can get out for ourselves tonight, is that first, we have to have our own faith. We have to have our own faith. Noah, in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of uncertainty, as the first of his line that wasn't able to talk to all the other people who came before and say, tell me a little bit more about this whole history, right? Tell me a little bit. He had his own faith. And it wasn't just an ordinary faith. It was a strong faith. He was able to find his own faith with God. And so many times we can blame our lack of heritage. We can blame our situation. We can blame our environment. We can blame so many reasons on why we don't have faith. But the Bible tells us that faith is available to all of us, regardless of our heritage. You don't have to have a grandfather who taught you from the time that you were born that life was just about pleasing God in order to please God. You don't have to have a praying mother or grandmother in order for you to do great things. We have to find our own faith. In fact, in spite of those things, you will have to find your own faith. We have to find our own faith. Our children have to find their own faith. One of the best things that my parents ever did to me was put my faith on my shoulders. I can remember them looking at me and saying, do you think that you will hurt us if you don't serve God? I kind of looked at them like, well, I would hope so. I mean, you know, it's kind of important and stuff. And they were like, oh, no, we might, we might grieve for a moment. But you will grieve for the rest of your life because you will take yourself out from under the blessing of God. I was like, this is heavy for a six-year-old, but I get it. My parents never let my faith be a matter of you're just going to follow after what we do. It was destiny. Do you believe in Jesus? Destiny, do you love Jesus? Destiny, will you follow Jesus? We have to have our own faith, and we have to allow other people to have their own faith too. Sometimes we can get intimidated, can't we, by looking at the faith journey of someone else. We want to jump in and, like, put them on the right faith journey. Like, no, I'm sorry, that... That book is this kind of theology, and you want this kind of theology. Oh, no. This is, you, you have too much faith. What you need is you need a little bit of this. Well, you need, a, I need to temper you. Oh, no. Let other people have their own faith. 
we have enough to tend in our own garden, don't we? We have enough weeds to pull. We have enough crops to plant. If we just tend our own garden, then we'll be fruitful enough so that other people can be blessed too. Second thing I get out of this is that your faith can jump generations. Your faith can jump generations. Yes, people have to have their own faith, but but in Noah, there were seeds of faith from great men. There were seeds of faith from Enoch. There were seeds of faith from great men in his lineage. And sometimes we can get discouraged by some of the people that have come after us or some of the people that we're connected to, and we're like, man, they're not following what they were taught. Man, but sometimes faith can it can skip even into the next generations and into the next generations. The Bible says that the love of God is faithful for tens of thousands of generations. I believe with all my heart that there are seeds that some of my ancestors sowed around the world that someday I will go and make good on. I have a, um, I have a great, 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 great ancestor who was a preacher in Baltimore it, during the American Revolution. Isn't that cool? I know, it's kind of cool. I got on Ancestry.com on one of those free months, and I signed up, and I forgot to cancel it for like six. So, you know, I am the person that they have the free month for to trap you in, just so you know. It's, it's, it's awesome. Like, it's great. Ancestry's great. That was a commercial. Do you think you could refund me? But anyway. Um, no, I got on there, and I looked, and I, I looked at it, and I went, oh, my goodness. You know, I can remember living in Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore, and I felt this kinship with that city that was unlike anything I'd ever felt. And, and I prayed for it for years, ever since I lived there. God, just do something great in Baltimore. Lord, I know that you have a plan there. Lord, if there's ever a chance for us to plant a church, like, God, open doors. Like, pray for Baltimore. And I look, and I go, huh? Well, no wonder. There, there's something in the generations and, and that's, not, that's not a scary thing. That's an exciting thing because this is the deal, is that our life is just a link in a long, long, long chain. And the world would have you measure your life by what you do, by what you achieve. But God doesn't do it that way. He looks at us and he says, look at, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all together. I'm the God of the generations. I'm able to do bigger things. My plans stretch beyond a single human lifetime. And that's exciting because that means that we can just keep planting seeds our whole life. We can just keep planting prayers. We can just keep speaking visions. We can just keep having dreams. We can keep doing it for the rest of our lives, not just for our own lifetime, but for our children, for someone else's kids. We can just keep doing it. Then you can see that the Bible tells us that as men multiplied, they turned their attention to each other and they became more wicked. Isn't that the way that it is for all of us? When we start focusing on each other, even worse, when we start focusing on ourselves, isn't that when the wickedness just really, really just multiplies? You know, you, you probably don't do this, but you know how like when your husband makes you really mad and like you're this much mad in the morning when he leaves or when you leave, or however your working situation works. But, you know, you're this match mad, and you're like, God, that was just annoying. But then you start thinking on it. 
huh, I didn't even notice that aspect of that. You're right. Not only was that rude, it was selfish. So about noontime, you're about this much mad. You call him, maybe to try to take care of it, and they don't answer. <laughs> Can't even take my call. Now you're this much mad. I know y'all don't do this, but, you know, I have the mic so I can confess. It's great healing for me. Has nothing to do with your lives, right? And then, you know, you go through the afternoon and you keep thinking on it. And you keep thinking on it. So you rush home early so that you can cook him dinner because, like, it's even better, like, if you do something really nice when you're mad because then you can be even more mad when they come home. You don't do that. Okay, cool. But when we turn our attentions to each other and spend the time thinking about the things that are wrong in our relationship or the things that we're upset about or the offenses that were done to us or the fear that we have or the insecurity we have or how we're really right that the best isn't yet to come and everybody else is wrong or that, you know, worry really is a reasonable response to our situation. I mean, we did pray, but I'm still worried, so I think I should worry. I mean, if we just keep turning our attention inward, that's when the wickedness comes out, right? Because by the time you get to dinner, you are not obeying the scripture that says, be angry and do not sin. You've not only sinned, and you're probably getting ready to sin some more. Because you're going to say things that probably aren't very nice or have an attitude that's not very nice. And, and who does it hurt? You're the only one who doesn't sleep well, right? You're the only home that doesn't have peace. You're the only workplace that's difficult. You're the only one who lives in fear. You're the only one. But when we turn our attentions just towards each other instead of turning them on God. I mean, when we have that heaven perspective, how quickly does that offense go out the window? When we have that, God, I want you to be pleased with my day today. All right, I was offended. This was an opportunity for me to show you how much I trust you. See, he offended me, and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to drop it. Did you see that? And you may say, well, that's, that's silly. No, that's really it. Because God's watching us and he loves us. And don't we want to be like the kids? You know, my little Juju, she wants me to watch everything she does. Carolina does too. But we're getting to the age where I'm not sure if I should celebrate mediocrity, you know? I mean, she does a cartwheel and I'm like, that's horrible. Do I cheer? Do I correct it? Do I call someone? And then Philip's like, but it's still better than your cartwheel. And I'm like, good point, good point. But, you know, don't we want to be like those kind of childlike faith that says, I want to take every opportunity, all the opportunities, to just show him how much I love him, to show him how much I care about him. And then the Bible tells us that in the midst of all this, Noah finds favor with the Lord. Noah finds favor with the Lord. And it tells us why says that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. And we know from Hebrews that it was the faith of Noah that caused him to be called righteous. That it was his faith. It was his belief in God. It was his belief not only in God, like there is a God. I get that a lot. Um, I try for people not to know that I'm a pastor because it ends up in really weird conversations about their second cousin who goes to church. But I, you know, if it comes out and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're pastors. And, and after we get over the second cousin and the, and the grandma who had a, you know, Bible or whatever, the next thing they'll usually say is, well, I believe in a God, that there is a God. 
I'm like, cool, great. I'm so glad that you believe that there is a God. But that's very different. I want to make sure that we're all than believing in the God, right? Believing that there is a God is not the same as having faith and then putting our full trust in God. I read in the BBC um, the other day, which is my favorite news um, outlet. I love the BBC. And so I was reading the BBC the other day, and it said, it was like a huge headline. It said, physicists in the United States now believe that the earth may be a computer simulation. And I was like, is it April Fool's? Like, this is awesome. And I love sci-fi, so of course I read the whole thing. And then I researched for another two hours that I shouldn't have. But I, I, I thought it was so fast. This is a thing. They had a conference on it with people who have tenure at real universities, not online ones, real universities. And this was their reasoning. The universe shows so many signs of design really, that we think that it must be for a purpose. And knowing what we know about computers, it may be, I swear this is what it says, it may be someone else's seventh grade science project. You think I'm lying. It said it in the BBC. It was great. Because how far will we go to avoid having to talk about the thought that there might be a God who might have a reason that he created this whole thing, and that reason might be us? How far will we go? But sometimes we're just as silly. Well, I believe in a God, but, you know, he doesn't really care about that. He made butterflies, I don't think that we get to pick what he cares about, but the Bible tells us so clearly. So faith. Noah found favor with the Lord because he was righteous. Then he found favor with the Lord because he was blameless before men. I love this. So in other words, he treated his fellow man well, and he paid attention to justice not perfection, because we know he couldn't have been perfect, right? Because there was only one man who was perfect, and that's Jesus. So, but he was blameless before men. And, and a lot of times when you talk about being blameless before somebody, that usually means that you are a person who keeps your word, you know? Like if I say, I can't blame you, right? That means you have not given me any legal basis for blame. You haven't broken your word. You haven't done whatever. Are we people of our word, are we people of our word? Are we people who it could be said, you know what? You want to do business with her because she will always keep her word. You know what? If she told you she'd show up, she'll be there because she always keeps her word. Are we people of our word? It's so crucial that as Christians, we put that at such a high value point. Because I can I tell you that in the world, our reputation is not that. It's not. I work in the business community, and I, I actually I had to buy some ads for a client of mine, and we were going to buy some billboards and some different things, and, and they were like, yeah, we're going to have to have the money in advance, and I was like, cool, that's great, and he goes, oh, it's so-and-so. Oh, you don't, have to, you don't have to give me the money in advance. I know where you are, and I was like, great, well, wonderful. Do you ever have problems? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, the two people that stiff their bills the most are churches and politicians. 
And I, and I died laughing. And I died laughing. I, I laughed for so long, he, he didn't know why I was laughing. And I said, I'm a church. He goes, oops, I didn't, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, it's cool. It's cool. Like, I'm buying it for a client who's not. So it's, it's good. But, but that's not the reputation that we want to have, right? That's not the reputation we want to have. We want to have a reputation as Christians of always being the people that it doesn't matter what the legal ramifications are not. We're going to keep our word. We're going to be blameless before men. And then he walked faithfully. He walked faithfully. He was in a relationship with God on a consistent basis. He was in a relationship with God on a consistent basis. Can that be said about us, that we're in a relationship with God on a consistent basis? You know, the number one thing for education or apprending a a new skill is just consistency. You would think it would be like intelligence or something else. It's just consistency. Today, if you will just do something skill-wise, about 15 to 20 minutes every single day, you will have better results than most people who do it for four to five hours in a row one time a week. Why? Because just doing a little bit consistently builds up. And sometimes in our relationship with God, we want to wait till we have two hours to pray. We want to wait until we have, you know, our study Bible, our highlighters, our notebook, our Beth Moore CD, you know, all the different stuff and the stars align and we can study the word of God. And if God, if the devil can't keep you from wanting to do good things, then his next thing will be to delay you from doing good things. And one of the number one ways that we delay people is that we just say, you're not ready or the time's not right. You're not ready or the time's not right. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we begin to imperfectly move towards our relationship with God. Today is the day that we begin to imperfectly sow seeds in the lives of our coworker. Today is the day that we imperfectly begin to serve in some way. Today is the day that we begin. We don't put it off until there's a time where we can do it more perfectly. Perfection is the enemy of action. It always is. You know, my little Carolina is so cute, and I tell stories about her all the time, but she's so funny. But she just about has gotten to the point where she does not want to do anything unless she thinks she can do it perfect. Thankfully, she's found out, she has not found out yet that there are a lot of things that she's not doing perfect, so she still will do a lot of things. But I've had to break down that so many times. Because we'll sit down to write her letters, and if she does one wrong, my stomach hurts. I don't feel good. I'm tired. I want to lay on the couch. What's going on? Why well, messed up? Do it again. Come on. Let's just, let's just do it again. Let's do it wrong until we can do it right. But we're going to sit here until we can do it, right? We're going to sit here until we can actually. We're just going to do something today. If we write D's backwards all day today, we're going to do it. Why? Because it's just important to start. Because if you're going to have a faithful relationship with God, if you're going to have a faithful relationship with your husband, if you're going to have a faithful relationship with your church, then we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent and we have to start where we are. And, you know, it was this favor from God that resulted in the warning that came from God and instructions on how to save humanity from the flood. 
What God's doing in our own lives are always so much bigger than just us. You know, sometimes I think the enemy can just make us feel so small, can't he? Like your life will never matter. But you know, what God's doing in us is bigger than just us. It's bigger than just us. When we find freedom in God from whatever it is, it's bigger than just us. We become a testimony and a memorial to other people. We become something that it's bigger than just us. And nowhere is that more true than in Noah. It was bigger than just him. God wanted to save humanity through him. And the Bible says that Noah did everything that God commanded him, everything that God commanded him. He was quick to obey. How many times do we spend so much time arguing with God, trying to get out of the things that we know are true? I know I do. I've told Philip so many different times, I'm not worrying. I'm just considering the possibilities. I'm not worrying. I'm just upset. I'm not, well, having anxiety, oh, you're right. He's the Prince of Peace. You're right. He said to pray about everything. You're right. He said to cast my cares upon him because he cares for us. You're right. He said that he would keep in perfect peace everybody who stays focused on him. You're right. That's what the book says. But how much time do we spend wasting and arguing with God about the things that we just know are right, the standards that we know are real, the, the things that we know we shouldn't say, we know we shouldn't gossip, we know that there's no room for criticism of other people in our lives, we know that we shouldn't lie, even if it's going to help us get the sale, we know that we should, we know, we know that the fruit of the Spirit should be the priority of our life, that we should judge our success by that, and not how much is in the bank account, or what other people think about, we know those things, but so many times we take the instruction of God, and we just argue it to death, until finally maybe we obey, kind of halfway, that's not, that's not to discourage any of us. It just means that we all have a long way to go in every area, don't we? Because sometimes we're quick to obey in one area. Some people really like the rules in one area. But over here in this other area, oh, no, giving mercy and grace to other people. Nope. I'm going to find 15 scriptures that tell me that I don't have to. Right? But he was quick to obey. He did it without arguing. And a lot of times I think about how in the world did Noah not, like, trip out and, and not do this? You know, spend, like, you know, at least 150 years arguing about this. And then I think that if you've been living your whole life with a mind to honor God and to please him, if you have a pattern of obeying in the little things, if you have a bad pattern of following him on the stuff that's personal that nobody sees, the integrity stuff that nobody sees, doing the difficult things that nobody sees, telling the truth when it really is going to hurt you, you know, all those things. If you have that pattern, which he had to have. I mean, he was righteous. He was blameless before men. He walked faithfully. He had those habits. Then God can ask you to do crazy things. And that's why I get so excited about talking about this kind of stuff. It's because I believe with all my heart that God's going to ask some people in this room to do some crazy things. 
to do some crazy things, to plant churches all over the world, to, to see people who we never thought could come to Jesus, come to Jesus, to, to talk and, 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 to, and to go after cultural idols that, that aren't good for us, to speak truth to power. I mean, there's just crazy things. So when God got ready to tell somebody something crazy, he went to someone who had already lived a pattern and a lifestyle of being quick to obey. The details are crazy, but his relationship allowed him to be obedient to the detail. You know, one of the things I love about Noah is that Noah's story is a beautiful case of divine foreshadowing. It's just this beautiful case of divine foreshadowing. You know, just as Moses foreshadowed Christ by delivering the Israelites from slavery, Joshua foreshadowed Christ fighting for a place in the promised land, David foreshadowed Christ as a warrior king who would defeat all of our enemies, Daniel foreshadowed Christ. He was unjustly accused and thrown into um, death, and yet he walked out of the place of death into a new authority and a power. Esther foreshadowed Christ in her intercession with the king on behalf of her people. Hosea foreshadowed Christ in taking a prostitute to his home and making her his wife. Noah here again is foreshadowing Christ and what he would do for each of us as I close. And the piano player can come to make this next part, like, better, you know. Noah foreshadows what Christ would do for each of us. The Bible says that Jesus found favor with God and man. And that's kind of a curious statement. But as I was reading over Noah's story, I thought, oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. And the truth is, is that Jesus, he was righteous because he was righteousness. He literally was the embodiment of righteousness, the righteousness of God. And the righteousness that he had, he would pass on to each one of us. He was blameless. The Bible says that he never sinned. And then he walked faithfully. He walked faithfully all through the New Testament. We see over and over again that Jesus is praying and that he's talking to God the entire time that he's on the earth. He walked faithfully. His relationship with God allowed him to obey in the smallest detail. You know, but this time, unlike Noah, Christ wasn't going to hide in a boat and let the rest of humanity perish. Christ didn't you know, sit inside of an ark and just save a few while, while everything else. No, that's not what he did at all. Instead, Christ would die for all and he would become the ark where men could run for a refuge. See, God's never gonna flood the earth again. I love that promise of the rainbow. That beautiful rainbow in the sky that's on so many of our our kids' nurseries. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful image of God's promise that he would never flood the earth again with water. But God wants to flood the whole earth with his spirit. And I love that. I love that image of the earth being flooded with his spirit because it's his spirit that makes all the difference. 
It's his spirit that allows us to have our own relationship with him. It's his spirit that allows this weird supernatural thing where, where, where the call of God and, 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 and dreams and visions get passed through and over and under and around generations. It, it's the spirit of God that allows us to, to have faith when everything else would say that we should have doubt. It's the Spirit of God that allows us to keep our word and to be blameless. It's the Spirit of God that does every single one of those things that keeps us walking faithful with Him. Because once you have a taste of the Spirit of God, there's just nothing like it. You know, I can remember getting into theological conversations in my own head during college, arguing with myself about things, and then at the end of it, I'd just stop and go, what are you going to do with Jesus? He's our closest companion since I was a little girl. I can remember feeling his presence. I may not understand this or that. I, I may not be completely sure on, on what's happening at this time in history and that time of history. But I know one thing. I know the spirit of God is real. I know it. I've experienced it. It's changed me. I've seen it change people. I've seen it take people who didn't even know what they were responding to and transform them completely. I've seen the Spirit of God do such incredible things. You know, when we talk about the epic fall of the flood, I just hope that when we read this story that we'll also just be reminded that the Bible says that in the last days that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. You know, I want to be around for that epic fall. I want to be around for the fall of the spirit on us where we have old men who are, you know, seeing visions and young men are dreaming dreams or vice versa or whatever it is. I'm just, I want to be around for all of it. Because I want to see our world saved again. Saved again. Because we still have so many. Don't, don't we have people who need Jesus, who we see every day? Don't we have people who are desperate for his peace and for his love and for his joy? Don't we have people who don't have their own relationship with God? Maybe they've become embittered by the relationships they've seen. Maybe they have been turned off by Christianity, by Christians. It doesn't matter. We see all of that, and yet we host the answer within us, because everywhere we go, we take the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We hope you were encouraged by the Word of God. If you would like more information on North Point Community Church, you can find us online at www.northpoint.ccpeople.com.